Habits, small disciplines, big results. We are in part three of this particular series that I'm very challenged by, and I'm hoping that a lot of people are being encouraged and and helped practically with this. Right, so uh, tackling part three of our series on habits. Um, I've been uh, quite impacted by going back to the story of Daniel. Uh, Even if you haven't been involved with church much, there's a good chance that you've heard about the, the story of Daniel and the lion's den. It's not a fairy tale. This really happened, and it's recorded in uh, the Bible. A, a very lengthy book is actually written uh, by the same name, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. He was, uh, it's kind of considered a, a major prophet, a major prophetic book. Um, but there's a story behind the story. So very often we see the courage or we see uh, you know, the determination or the stamina of someone, and we think, like, wow, they must have had this incredible gift of faith. Um, and so often... Uh, we, we just see what is done publicly and we forget about what's actually been done privately. And we think that someone just woke up one day and boom, uh, you know, they just have this, this incredible faith, this incredible confidence. Um, but actually in many cases, and I believe in, in the case of Daniel, it was actually a result of probably decades of a really, really healthy habit that I want to take a look at in a moment. So just to give you a little bit of background uh, uh, I want to say David. Daniel was actually a captive uh, from Jerusalem, so from Israel. Him and, and a number of other um, sort of impressive young men were taken captive at, at quite an early age to what was then Babylon, is now modern-day Iraq. And they were trained and, and educated and were raised up to serve under, uh, at that stage, King Nebuchadnezzar. But, but I think he served under at least four different rulers. So he served them faithfully, by the way. Bearing in mind, he's in exile, and he is serving faithfully. You might not want to be where you are. You can still honor God in the way that you serve faithfully. That's just a side note. And so uh, Daniel, we see in many different cases, actually shows an incredible amount of character and impressiveness. But we're just going to take a look at this one story before he lands up in the lion's den. Reading from the first verse of Daniel chapter 6. It says, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. So this isn't just one country. This is, this is his entire empire. And, the, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators. Again, bear in mind, he's, he's a foreigner. He's in exile. But he showed himself so diligent, so faithful, so reliable, uh, that because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. And as you can imagine, the other administrators, uh, governors, etc., became very jealous and so we read on in verse 4, it says that the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. That says a lot about his character. Very impressive. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So take a look at this. They concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Imagine if people said the only thing that we can find to, to gossip about, to criticize, to, to undermine him at work or at school is because of that you know, bleep bleep relationship that he seems to have with God. Imagine if that's the only thing that people 
can find against us. So verse 6, the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now your majesty issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Maybe you've heard that, that phrase before, the laws of the, the, the law of the Medes and the Persians. In other words, it cannot change. If you're going to sign it, it's done. Nothing you can do about it. And clearly, King Darius had um, a, bit of a, a bit of a self-esteem problem and, 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 and a healthy ego. So he agreed and signed the law. Before I take a look at, at Daniel's uh, response to this, um, I want to just remind you for a moment of something that you'll read about in many different books about habits, and it's something called the habit loop. Um, th- some of the words are slightly different depending on the book that you're reading, but the one that James Clear uses in his book, Atomic Habits, he makes reference to this idea that there's a cue, there is a craving, then there's a natural response, and obviously the goal is for some type of reward. So there's a cue, craving, response, and reward, and I don't have time to give you all the many different examples of this, but, but I mean, I think for many of us, if we look at our, at our diet or, or what we do on a Friday night or whatever the case is, we, there's some, like we want to relax, so, so we have a way that we relax. Um, it, might be, it might be sitting down and relaxing in front of the TV. It could be going out with friends. Whatever the case is, we've developed a habit. And by the way, again, lots of research. Duke University did research um, several years ago and, and discovered that at least 40% of your actions in a given day are not done consciously. Like you don't even have to think about it. At least 40% of your actions, they're habits. So chances are, however you started your morning this morning, if you normally come to church on a Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, um, it's probably the way you started last week and the week before and the week before unless you had too much to drink last night, in which case maybe it was different. I don't know. But, but, but the way that you're going to start your morning tomorrow before you go to school or to work is probably the way you start most of your mornings. You wake up at a certain time without even thinking. You, you probably go to the bathroom first. Uh, you go to the kitchen. You get coffee or whatever the case is. Um, and, and you have a particular routine. You have a routine in the way you brush your teeth. You, you might not think about it, but you probably start somewhere. You end somewhere. You spit your like it's, it's all done without having to think about it. However, you get to school or work, whether you're walking, using public transport, driving, you don't have to think about it. I'm sure many of us have found ourselves going in the wrong direction because something has changed on a given day, and we're so used to traveling a certain way. It's just simply a habit, and even something like stress, which is what Daniel is being placed under, stress is the cue, right? It's the trigger. It's something that is provoking a response. You can't avoid it, by the way. So those of you that are hoping we can just avoid the cues, um, you can if you, if you avoid the environment altogether, which is a great key, by the way, if you want to stop something or get rid of something, well, then change your environment. And again, James Clear talks about environment architecture, how you actually, anyway, that's a different, that's a different message. Um, but the cue is there. So if you're placed under stress, like Daniel's being placed here, there's going to be an instant craving. And I don't know about you, but my craving would be for relief. It'd be for peace. It'd be to escape. Um, And the response to that, depending on the habit that you've developed over time, is going to either uh, send you into binge eating. It's going to send you into social media. It's going to send you to friends to, to offload. It's going to send you 
maybe into uh, some, some type of substance that might just help you forget about it for a moment. We, we all have a natural craving after that cue, and then we have a natural response, which we're hoping will produce the reward. So, so the reward for some, for some of us is just simply, okay, we managed to escape. I'm not feeling that pain anymore. I'm not feeling that, that stress anymore. Um, obviously, in a godly sense, I think God's goal, God's reward is for you to find peace. So we take a look at how Daniel responds to this idea that his practices and that his habit is most likely going to land up presenting him as breakfast for the lions. So verse 10, it says that when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done. Just as he had had always done, giving thanks to God. That, I believe, is because of a habit. I think if this was the kind of stress that Daniel was being placed under right at the very beginning of his journey with God, I don't know that he would have had that confidence, that security, that identity, that, that level of faith. But I think because Daniel had committed to this habit of connect, think about it. If you connect with God intentionally, I mean consciously, besides, besides when you're in the car, when you're on the bus, when you're, when you're in the shower, I mean like, like you take time out to focus and to connect with God three times a day for 20, 30, 40 years, do you think that there's going to be a different level of confidence in your relationship with God? Well, I think so. And I think we're seeing this in Daniel's case. By the way, the point there is not to get discouraged when your small habit doesn't produce this immediate response. I'm saying that it's the habits of time over time over time. It's that consistency, it's that perseverance. It produces the result that we want. So, of course, Daniel's enemies are like, yay! (laughs) Like, what a course. You know, like he's still doing it. We've got something against him. And so they run to the king and they tell on him. And so the king is actually put into quite a bind. And again, it just shows you how much favor Daniel had with King Nebuchadnezzar. If you read the story, he is is stressed out. In fact, he he knows, he he realizes that he doesn't have a choice. There's nothing he can do. He looks for loopholes. There's nothing that he can do to actually save his favorite guy. And so he has to banish him to the lion's den. But the Bible actually says that he can't even sleep that night. Like he is so stressed out. David has so, Daniel has so much favor with him that Nebuchadnezzar can't even sleep. So then the next morning, verse 19, very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? What a great story, right? Daniel answered, long live the king, my God. I love that. Sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. What an incredible story. What an incredible testimony of a faith, a confidence, um, a security, and identity in God because of a small habit that in all likelihood Daniel started decades before as a very young man, and the king is deeply impacted. Now he sends a new edict throughout the empire that you will all worship Daniel's God because he's amazing, he's awesome, he rescues everybody. All of that, I believe, is because of a simple little habit where Daniel committed to connecting with his God 
three times a day, every day. If you've been with us or have not been with us the last few weeks, um, we're, we're kind of looking at three different questions that I believe God wants us to ask. And that is simply, what does he want us to believe? Who does he want us to become? And what does he want us to get done? What does he want us to believe? Because some of us have, have we've given up believing that it's still possible. We've given up believing that change is possible, that, that, that something in our lives can change. And by the way, that's why I don't want you to miss out two weeks' time, the 10th of Feb. I think, I think you're going to believe for things, I think in many cases, for things that you've never been willing to believe for. And we're going to just share a few personal testimonies as well. I think you're going to be encouraged. So, so, so what you believe really will determine who you want to become. And who we want to become, who we believe God wants us to become. So, who, so, so us actually focusing on the who before the do. So if we know who it is that God wants us to become. So we want to be, so in this case, in Daniel's case, I want to be secure in God. I want to know him personally. I want to know who he is. I want to live out his purposes for my life. If that's, if that's who I want to become, well, then I know what I need to get done. And in Daniel's case, he's saying, I, I know that with the amount of pressure being put on me. Some of you, you've been, put, you, you've been placed under so much pressure at work, at school, in your family, that the temptation is to think, well, I don't have time to spend time with God. I would argue that that level of pressure and responsibility should actually make us think, I can't not spend time with God. If I'm going to make this work, if I'm going to succeed, if I'm going to make a difference, I need to spend time with God. So when we know who it is that God wants us to become, it's a lot easier for us to know what it is that we want to get done. And so very simply, I think it's another way of saying, God, like, what do you actually want me to do? What, what, like, like, how do you want me to make changes in my life? And so I want to look just, just in the last few minutes, very, very simply, what I think God wants us to do when it comes to habits. And, and this might not be relevant to everybody, but for many of us, I think it's as simple as simply beginning. It's just actually starting. I think that God's first goal for us is to start and to start now. Genesis 42, verse 1 and 2 says that when Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt because they were in a famine. So, so, so him and his children and their children, they were, they were starting to starve. They were in the middle of a famine. He says to his sons, why are you standing around looking at one another? Like that was old man speak for just do something, anything. Like don't just hang around hoping that something's going to change. I think, I think Jacob's saying to his family, guys, do something. Like, what are you doing standing around looking at each other? I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we'll die. I want to encourage you. Again, this comes back to our belief that you're not a victim in the sense that, that even if something's being done to you, you don't have to remain a victim if you believe that God can help you in terms of what you do going forward. You may not be able to control what's happened to you, but you really can trust God to help you by His grace and power in terms of what you do with that going forward. You might not be able to change your past, but you are absolutely able to change your future. You're writing the future story. And so we can start. We can do something. And I want to encourage you, especially if your personality is anything like mine, don't Wait for perfect circumstances. Don't wait till you have all your ducks in a row. Don't wait until you have everything lined up. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4 says, Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. So for some of us, we're like, yeah, yeah, God, you know, I'd like to get healthier, but, and then we click back into victim mode. I can't afford a gym membership. I can't afford a personal trainer. I don't have the time. 
And I want to challenge that thinking to say, no, no, God, God says we can, he wants us to start. We can start now. And even if you can't afford anything, I'm, there are so many programs online nowadays. There's so many free apps available, even though they normally charge you, I think, later on. Um, there are free things in the community, like Parkrun. You can walk, in most cases, for 20 minutes, three times a week. Like, you can just start somewhere. Just start. Just, just begin. You'll be surprised at how God directs a moving ship. I think God is not waiting for us to get all our ducks in a row. I think God's waiting for us to move. Like, just do something. By the way, that's why I even believe so strongly in growth track, because it doesn't necessarily guarantee you a picture of your future destiny, but it helps you just to get started, just to get moving. And I really do believe that God directs a moving ship. If you're, if you're trying to, you know... Uh, increase the health of your marriage. Don't wait until you can take your spouse on the perfect date or on this incredible island holiday. Like maybe just start with spending 10 minutes a day together when you first come home. Like sit on the couch for 10 minutes or stand alone in the kitchen for, for a few minutes without the kids being allowed to bother you. And just, even if you share one thing from your day, you can start. You can start now. Don't wait until you know, don't wait to start a healthy study habit when you know you've got everything in the future worked out. You know what degree you're going to do or what course you're going to do. You know how it's going to be paid for and what kind of job you're going to get. No, no, just actually start with the discipline of studying a little bit every day now. Craig Rochelle says, do something. <laughs> Breakthroughs are not the result of random chance, but of action and faith. Do something. Action always beats intention. Hope needs hard work. Dreaming needs doing. I came across this story a little while ago about, about some research done uh, in Great Britain where they were working with 248 people to build better exercise habits over the course of two weeks. So just two weeks, which is, which is quite, you know, you, know you, can, you can see two weeks. It's close enough for you to experiment with, right? And the subjects were divided into three groups. The first group was the control group. So they were just simply asked to actually track how often they exercised over the next two weeks. The second group was the motivation group. They were asked not only to track their workouts, but also to read some material on the benefits of exercise. The researchers also explained to the group how exercise could reduce the risk of coronary heart disease and improve heart health, etc. Then, finally, the third group, were sub, uh, these subjects received the same presentation as the second group, right? So also track your workout. Uh, here's some motivation. Here's some extra information you need to know as to why this is good for you. But they were also asked to formulate a plan simply for when and where they would exercise over the following week. Like that was the only real difference. Just, just formulate a plan of where and when. Specifically, each member of the third group completed the following sentence during the next week. I will partake in at least 20 minutes of vigorous exercise on fill in the day and at fill in the time. And what was very interesting for them is that in the first and second groups, only 35 to 80, sorry, only 35 to 38% of people actually exercised at least once per week. What was interesting for them was that the people that had been motivated or informed as to the extra benefits and, and what it would protect them from. There was virtually no difference. So, so the extra inspiration, the extra motivation didn't actually seem to make much difference for them. But 91% of the third group exercised at least once per week. That's, that's almost 
three times as much. The point being, just start. Like, write it down. Put a plan. What day? I'm going to read the Bible on these days at that time. I'm going to connect with my family. We're going to have uh, dinner together these three nights a week. And this is where we're going to sit. This is the time we're going to, like, just start. Write it down. So start now. Number two, start small. Start small. Again, if you're anything like me, that's not actually what you want to hear. I, I love the idea of making radical changes in every area of my life that I'm not happy with. And the problem with that is that it doesn't often produce a lot of fruit. It often lands up getting diluted. My, I, I'm distracted. My, my focus is taken away from, from something clear and something simple. Never underestimate a small beginning. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10 says, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. The Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Don't despise these small beginnings. This is actually being said in the context of, of a remnant of Israel that, that many, many, many years later, after, after being sent into exile, they've now come back into Jerusalem and they're trying to rebuild the temple of God that was torn down by the enemy. And the problem with this was that some of the people were old enough to remember the grandiosity, the, the splendor of the first temple because it was built by Solomon and it was outrageous. And, and as they are rebuilding this second temple, it doesn't look as impressive. Think about whether or not you can relate to this. It doesn't look as impressive. And so they're really discouraged. And the word from the Lord is, don't despise small beginnings. He actually rejoices in seeing the work begin. And I really want, I hope that that'll encourage someone today. Like, don't wait until you've got these massive plans and everything worked out and you're going to transform your life in three weeks. God actually, I think God breathes behind you, pushing you on when you're willing to just get started and to actually, even through humility, start small. I was actually very surprised to, uh, to read the following story. And this is about um, a professor from the University of Florida. His name was Jerry Yulesman. And this was, I think, before mobile phones, etc. So, 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 you know, where you can just take hundreds and thousands of photos and, and edit them as you like. This was when they still used what is called film photography, right? So, so where you still got to actually, it's, it's all recorded onto film. You've got to be able to prepare the stuff in a dark room, etc. So he wanted to do an experiment. And he divided his film photography students into two groups. Everyone on the left side of the classroom, he explained, would be in the quantity group. They would be graded solely on the amount of work they produced. On the final day of class, he said, you would tally, uh, he would tally the number of photos submitted by each student. And simply, if you produced 100, now again, remember this wasn't with digital cameras. 100 photos would rate an A, 90 photos a B, 80 photos a C, and so on. Meanwhile, everyone on the right-hand side of the room would be in the quality <laughs> group. Sorry, I relate so much to this. This is why I find it quite staggering. They would be graded only on the excellence of their work. They would only need to produce one photo during the semester. But to get an A, it had to be a nearly perfect image. At the end of the term, he was surprised to find that all the best photos were produced by the quantity group. During the semester, these students were busy taking photos. 
experimenting with composition and lighting, testing out various methods in the darkroom and learning from their mistakes. Again, bear in mind, these weren't digital cameras. And in the process of creating hundreds of photos, they honed their skill. Meanwhile, the quality group sat around speculating about perfection. Anyone relate to this? I'm like, Lord, I'm so sorry. In the end, they had little to show for their efforts other than unverified theories and one mediocre photo. It is easy to get bogged down trying to find the optimal plan for change, the fastest way to lose weight, the best program to build muscle, or the perfect idea for a side business. We are so focused on figuring out the best approach that we never get around to actually taking action. Motion makes you feel like you're getting things done, but really, you're just preparing to get something done. When preparation becomes a form of procrastination, you need to change something. You don't want to merely be planning. You want to be practicing. And if you want to master a habit, the key is to start with repetition, not perfection. Repetition, not perfection. Perfection. Stop waiting until you've got the perfect plan. Stop waiting until you can be the the perfect spouse, the perfect child, the perfect student, the perfect whatever. Just get started and be willing to start small. Repetition, not perfection, will help you master a habit. Start now, start small, and lastly, start with what matters most. Try and start with what matters most. If you've been around for a while, you've heard me use the term keystone habit. And again, this is found in various books on on habits. The Power of Habit, written by Charles Duhigg, was the first time I came across this concept. James Clear in Atomic Habits talks about it again. And as you can see on the screen, the the keystone, um, architecturally speaking, is is kind of almost like a triangular-shaped stone in the middle of the arch that actually keeps all the other stones in place. It, 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 all the other stones are able to put their weight, their pressure, onto that keystone. And that keystone allows all those other stones to be in place. The idea is that for all of us, there is a keystone habit. For all of us, there is something that's going to have a knock-on effect on everything else. And that's why I love that video. And as long as I can, I'm going to keep playing it to you because it's, it's one domino knocking over the next domino, knocking over the next domino, knocking over the next domino, and so on until, until it's got enough momentum to knock over the bigger and bigger and bigger blocks. What is your keystone habit? What is the one area that you know if you commit to that now, it's going to have a knock-on effect that you think God would be pleased with in that it's going to help you become who he wants you to become. Because again, the goal is not just to get stuff done. The goal is to become who God wants us to become. And if we will become who God wants us to become, then we're going to get done all the stuff that he wants us to get done. Now I've got to tell you, you're in church, so I'm going to argue that the most important keystone habit for every person. So the only way that I would encourage you to move on to a different keystone habit is if you've already got the keystone habit of connecting with God as, as, as a part of your daily routine. Apart from that, so if we're not going to love God as we've got on the wall there with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, 
I don't think we're going to be able to love our neighbor or ourselves. We need to, it, needs to be a, it needs to be a priority, a keystone habit to where we are in a regular rhythm of connecting with God daily. Research has been done over and over again and has come up with the same result that the single greatest keystone habit that's going to affect your relationship with God, so, so, we, so we, you don't just know more, but where you are healthier, you're producing the fruit that God wants us to produce. Interestingly, it's not just attending church, it's not just serving a church, it's not just giving to the mission of God, it's actually being in the daily habit of reflecting on Scripture. Psalm uh, 1 verse 1 and 3 says, Oh, the joys of those who delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Remember in Daniel's case, he was doing it three times a day, it was such a priority for him. Look at this. You talk about a keystone habit, it affects everything else. It goes on to say that they, so those people that are going to reflect on his word day and night, they're going to be like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. So even in the stressful seasons, even in the dry seasons, even in the challenging seasons, even in the amazing seasons, we're not going to be distracted by how blessed we are. We're going to, we're going to be able to appreciate it and enjoy it, but, but we are so planted and grounded. Their leaves never wither. And they, uh, sorry, and they prosper in all they do. I want to encourage you. We all have a cue, a craving, a response, and a reward. Please ask God to help you to see the need beneath the need. When, when that thing happens and we're, and, we're first, and we're just tempted towards some superficial solution, some of, you, some of us have lived long enough to know that that's not actually solving the problem. It's a counterfeit solution. It's not actually bringing the peace, the joy, the patience that we're looking for. And if that's the case, then I want to encourage you to, to make connecting with God daily a keystone habit. I would definitely encourage you to make church a part of your habit, a part of your weekly rhythm where you don't wait to see what the weather's doing or flip a coin. Like just, just hey, for me and my family, that's what we do on a Sunday. We, we're hoping that if we keep positioning ourselves, we're giving God the opportunity. We, we, we are the architectures of our environment. We're giving God the opportunity to speak to us. If you, when you make life group a priority, you're giving God the opportunity. You're giving him space to speak to you. I want to pray for us in a moment. And while we're doing that, if you're wanting to get baptized this morning, we're going to encourage you to make your way out on the left-hand side, the far left-hand side, to go and get changed along. But the rest of us, I want to encourage you just to close your eyes for a moment and simply to ask God this question. And by the way, you're allowed to ask God this question even if you're not sure about God. Even if you're not sure (laughs) that you're in a relationship with God yet, I think God loves it when people are willing to ask Him a question, just in case, just in case He answers. God, is there a keystone habit? Like, give me insight, give me wisdom. Lord, please, just as you're sitting here with your eyes closed, forgetting about the people around you, Lord, what is that one thing that I need to focus on, I need to give attention to? I, I don't even have to be radical about it. I just have to start somewhere. But I need to start. 